It's Cofield and Company, live at the Thomas and Mack. Thomas and Mack. A three for Hamp, straight away, why not? There it is. Written into the script, every first half, Royce Hamp makes the top of the key three. Check that off the list. Webster with the ball, top of the key, into the lane. Floater to Mwoka. He tips it in as he's pushed out of bounds. What control by David Mwoka. Ball to Bryce Hamilton on the left wing. Catch and shoot three. Is good! It's time for Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, here we go on a Wednesday. Thomas and Mac is the site. We got uh, UNLV basketball tonight. Lots of VGK talk to get to, especially with uh, Robin Leonard and his health. Ari's back in our Finley Toyota studios. We're leading to actually a doubleheader tonight of sorts. Lady Rebels will be over at Cox Pavilion starting at 6 o'clock. That's on Your View TV. I'll actually be on that call with Matt Neverett. That's 1014 on Your View. And then the men's game starts at 730 uh, in the Thomas and Mac as Wyoming is in town. And this is a big spot for... UNLV for a lot of reasons. We'll get to that in just a couple of minutes. You can still get your tickets at UNLVtickets.com. Wyoming, real good team. Chance for the Rebels to uh, get the skinny on them and also play spoiler. It's Trending at 3, presented by Nova Home Loans. Call now at 877-700-NOVA. The attorney season right around the corner. As uh, Today is the official open of it, right, Willie? Pac-12? Women's? Yep, lower seeds are playing to uh, to advance, and uh, it's it's always one of the better conferences. They're looking to send six once again to the dance. Oh wow! To the ladies' dance. And meanwhile, the Lady Rebels are fighting for probably the one spot in the Mountain West Conference tournament. Yes, for the Mountain West. In 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 reality, where they're right there because of the net rankings, um, they're they're hoping. Well, they obviously want to win out. They want to win their tournament to get in. But an at-large bid, it, it, some could argue that they deserve it in, in how Lindy sort of described, Lindy LaRock, Coach Lindy LaRock described, you know, and how you dominate in a non-Power 5 conference. This is somebody who played in the Power 5, went to Final Fours with Stanford, coached with, under Tara Vanderveer, in that in certain conferences of the Power Five, not the Pac-12, Pac-12 is pretty tough, but there are certain that once you get past that top tier, the top three or four, those teams are beating on the lower end of those conferences, whereas the Mountain West, Missouri Valley, lower teams, they are going to be very competitive, and it's going to be a lot more. So the competition level, maybe from a non-conference standpoint, not may not be there, but you're beating each other, beating each other up throughout the season. So um, the net ranking, I think last I checked, was around in the high 70s, 71, 72. When I say high, obviously be low, 71, 72. Um, so just outside the mix. Mm-hmm. But again, receiving votes in the AP top 25. This is a team that. Uh, you know, has has made tremendous strides, the regular season champs, and now um, looking to make a run. And it's a, this is an important game tonight. Men's tournament kicks off on Wednesday here at the Thomas and Mac Mountain West Conference Tournament. We'll have uh, tickets to give away a little later on. We're also going to check in with uh, one Richard Patino, who's the coach at New Mexico. New Mexico, the Lobos, will be here as one of the lower seeds in the Mountain West Conference Tournament. Right now, um, the by the numbers, uh, bracketology, Lenardi has Boise 8, Colorado State an 8, Wyoming a 9, San Diego State's a 12. San Diego State actually has the best numbers when it comes to places like Ken Palm and the net. Um, I will tell you, Wyoming, I think, is actually in jeopardy. If Wyoming loses the game tonight and were to lose in the – if they were in the 4-5 game and it was UNLV and lose to UNLV – I think Wyoming would be in trouble. So they still have some business to do. They should be max motivated going into the game tonight. And, you know, it's funny. I was reading a uh, one of the San Diego guys, the afternoon drive guy on uh, Extra 1360, sort of a cheerleader type for San Diego State, so everyone picks her a lot in life. But he was pointing out that the bracketologists are wrong. Lenardi's not wrong. Mm-mm. Of all the guys who do this, I'm – Pretty comfy in saying Lenardi has what the NCAA has in terms of a list. The NCAA has a list working all the time. Lenardi has that. It's also why he rarely misses on anything. He might miss on seeds. 
right by a spot maybe but he yeah. doesn't but he doesn't miss on who who's in who's in and who's out and uh some of the san diego state media is irked and saying these bracketologists don't know what they're doing trust me lenardi knows he goes back 30 years doing this he's got the ear of the tournament committee well, when they say these bracketologists, are they calling them out or are they talking about possibly what we talked about yesterday in terms of who do you believe, which, which sites, who are you reading right. specifically? Um, you know, how long ago was it that we were, we were paying attention to Andy Katz and now he is with the NC2A? So, I mean, there are certain ones that you could – I mean, Steve, you follow, you, you cover, you broadcast, you could make your own. I mean, I did it 20 years ago, but honestly, if anyone had read that, I was – you know, I was kind of going by a formula, but it wasn't like I actually had the ear of the NCAA, so I want to be trusted. Right. So that's doing what I'm it saying. back in 1999. And my point is, how many of that. how many of those of, of you are, really are out there in? right now, yeah, and nah. that's who they're talking about. Right. So, um, but the fact not, of the matter it's is, it's not because he, he's pretty much on the money. Right. So if he has them out right now, then they better figure something out for this final weekend. Well, they we have spoke to. about Wyoming. Wyoming. Open the season twenty-one and three. They've lost three of their last five, mm-hmm. and this is the most important time of the season. And guess who's hot? Even though they they stumbled, yes, but UNLV, you know, has been playing better down the stretch. Not not saying that they're going to get a, a an invite, but they yeah. got they obviously got to win out. But I'm just saying that this is the time where you got to get hot, and this is the time where you got to show yourself. Well, in a conference like this, there's no guarantee you're getting four teams, and you have to keep in mind. At the cutoff line in the West, the West Coast Conference, the Mountain West Conference, and the Pac-12 are all looking to get in a fourth or you know fifth team in some cases, mostly a fourth team. They're not going to be able to take all of them, so you got to win in the postseason. you got to win down the stretch to make the big dance if you're on the edge. You just said the the um, – well, anyway. Uh, Knights last night beat the Sharks. My segue was blown there with my stumble. Um, Knights last night get the job done against the Sharks. They get a little bit of a break with the opposing goaltender. Mm, maybe. Explain. Well, you're preparing for the starting goaltender, right? And James Reimer comes in. He was playing fantastic. I mean, the Golden Knights were peppering him in that first period, and they the pressure was on, and they were playing fantastic and moving the puck around and getting it in the zone. And puck movement looked good, especially with the misfit line. But you prepare strategically in the nuances of a specific goaltender. And when he goes out after one period, you know, and eventually you're going to find your spots, you're going to find your angles. Those guys, those snipers, those shooters, considering the pressure that that team, the Golden Knights can put on that team with as, you know, as, as rough of a season as the Sharks are having, they're going to get to Reimer at some point. They have to go to Sachenko who made his third appearance, third career appearance. So now you're going against somebody that you're kind of unaware of. You're not sure his style. You're not sure if he goes down into you know, a certain stance, if he comes away from the crease, if he moves left and right. What You don't really know the nuances of this goaltender. So it wasn't necessarily – maybe that's why you saw. You would think, oh, well, here comes the backup. It, it should have been maybe a 4-1, to 5-1 to one because of the shots. But – this kid put his best foot forward, and they just had to take their best shots at this kid where they didn't know maybe to go top shelf, far side, near side. So it's, it could be tough. Eichel knew on a breakout to go top shelf. Yeah. My God, that was close. What a rocket. He hit the, uh, the crossbar. More on the game. More on Pete DeBoer winning number 500 as we'll uh, check in with our legal insider, big hockey fan, uh, Justin Watkins, and we'll get into uh, some of the big stories in the world of sports from a league standpoint. That includes a, uh, well, it sounds like a horrific incident in many ways involving UFC, former UFC heavyweight champion Cain Velasquez. Coming up next, ESPN Las Vegas legal analyst Justin Watkins joins Cofield and Company in studio to break down the biggest legal stories in the world of sports. You don't remember the wins and losses. You remember the people and the coaching staffs, the trainers, the doctors, the the world-class players that we get a chance to work with every day. It's time for ESPN Las Vegas legal insider Justin Watkins to lay down the law. Only on Cofield and Company. Pete DeBoer on the way back as he talks about 500th win of his career. Uh, only 28 others have done that in the history of the NHL. Justin Watkins, one of the guys who helped bring the Golden Knights here, one of the original 7,500 founders of uh, the whole season ticket thing. And he's one of our good buddies, former public servant. We'll get into that. 
Justin, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing a lot better after that win last night. I'll tell you, if if they had lost to San Jose, I would have begun to worry that uh, the playoffs were in jeopardy. And I'm yeah. I'm still not a hundred percent that we're going to make the playoffs, but I'm I'm in the high nineties. Yeah, Willie and I were talking about this yesterday, and I, I felt like a lot of people like there was anger around the Arizona game. Um, like it's games like that, or last night's game. If you lose those, you're going to look back and go, "Oh my god." You know, somehow the Golden Knights missed the playoffs because of really, really, really bad losses like that. Yeah, totally. I mean, I thought they played a, a good game against Colorado. Um, you know, short man didn't have two of their top, you know, uh, line and didn't have one of their top four defensemen. And I thought they absolutely owned Colorado in the first period. And then the second period played them pretty even. And even the third period outplayed them, I think, you know, uh, probably – seven or eight times out of ten they win that game um you know because they can bury one of those breakaway chances that they didn't bury in that game um but at the same time we're getting to the point of the season where it that doesn't matter anymore we need the two points and when you go zero points in back-to-back games and one of those teams is arizona you start looking at the standings and realizing you don't have much of a cushion Let's uh, let's get a little more on the 500th win from or for Pete DeBoer as he uh, talked about how special it is doing it with the Golden Knights against the Sharks. Appropriate it was against the Sharks, but not for the reasons people think, not because, you know, it's our rival and the team that I got fired from because, you know, there's a group of men on that side that uh, were a big part of those 500 wins for me too that uh that i really enjoyed working with and and some people over there too so yeah i I think the last two three years have been tough you know i've had conversations with paul maurice who you know really uh, lost his passion for doing this based on the circumstances the last couple of years it's been tough on everybody i thought that was really interesting justin as uh you know we often forget because we're dealing with our day-to-day you know what coaches and players have been through trying to navigate COVID this whole time and the Knights have still been winning yeah you know I I was kind of uh, surprised about the frankness of those comments too especially on a day where he's talking about getting 500 wins Um, but yeah I mean (laughs) those players you know you can go back to Leonard's comments and during the offseason and his frustrations that restrictions hadn't been relaxed I mean these guys were traveling when traveling wasn't deemed safe they were you know separated from their loved ones and isolated for long periods of time during the bubble. Um, and then all that time, you still have fans and front office people who are expecting them to perform to a certain level. And if they're not, they're out of a job. Um, so, yeah, I, it was a it was a nice moment to sort of hear that and reflect a little bit and maybe maybe take it a little bit easier. The one thing that stood out to me last night at the post-game press conference is that particular comment about, well, not for the reasons that you think, yet the one-on-one I did with him a couple of days ago, he said, I think anytime you get to beat your own team, I would put that on the monumental list. (laughs) San Jose, that experience is fresh enough with me that it still gets the juices flowing. So before the game, hey, let's keep the intensity and the mindset on beating my old team, and afterwards, let's be a little humble and gracious. (laughs) Yeah, it's always easier to be a humble winner than, than a gracious loser, right? Justin Watkins with us, our legal insider, Battleborn Injury Lawyers, 570-9000, is the number to call uh, Justin, Matt, and the rest of the team at Battleborn Injury Lawyers. All right, let's get into um, some of the big legal stories uh, around the world of sports, and there's some really important stuff to hit on here. First of all, uh, when the story came out a couple days ago with Cain Velasquez, the former UFC heavyweight champion, you're like, oh, man, what the, what the heck's going on here? Now there's a lot more depth to the story of this shooting that went down in San Jose. Yeah, this is a, a really interesting story and a, and a good story to talk about kind of what legal entitlements there are. Uh, now it's coming to light that the person that he shot, I believe shot and shot at, um, uh, had been accused and arrested and, and arraigned for the molestation of children under the f- age of 14, one of which was a what the story has said it was a close family relative of Kane's. Uh, and that he had recently been released on bond and um, and there was an indication that maybe the charges weren't going to be as severe as they should be. Uh, only one felony count uh, and he's out on the streets. And um, from from the story, it appears that the 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 belief is 
that uh, Cain Velasquez was dissatisfied with the civil just or the criminal justice system and thought that he sort of needed to take things into his own hands and was seeking out some form of vigilante justice, whether that was intending on killing or scaring this person. I don't think we, we know that, and I don't think we're going to get any sort of admission from him about that anytime soon, because the bottom line is, even if all of those things are true, it's still a crime. Um, now, it, a situation in which you are trying to protect a vulnerable person like a family member or a child from the attacks of another person is absolutely a situation in which you have a right to defend them. But that has to be in real time. So now if the story comes out that this guy was heading back to the same location where he had committed these abuses or trying to go after one of his prior victims or going after a new victim and Kane witnessed it and fired because he was trying to protect somebody totally different analysis but if if it's true as the story states now that he's dissatisfied with the prosecution uh, of this offender uh, and he wanted to take justice into his own hands that absolutely 100% is illegal um, and <laughs> Any attempt on that person's life or, or threats to them is, is criminal. Um, and, and clearly the authorities think so. That's why they've charged him with attempted murder. And the problem intensifies when it's obvious that the, the suspect was not going back to commit a sexual assault because his mother and stepfather were in the car, and the stepfather is who was struck by the bullet. So there's someone that has nothing to do with this, and... Now you're really talking about, so even if you try to claim insanity or you went crazy because it's a family member, this person had nothing to do with it, and that's an entirely different charge on an entirely different level. Yeah, and for your, that's some great points there, uh, Willie, and I'll say for an insanity defense like that, again, you, it must be a situation in which you are perceiving the, the threat in real time um, and say you sort of lost it. Um, kind of crimes of passion is what's often used there for that sort of temporary insanity. Um, but I, I, I'm from the appearance of what you just described and what I read in the story, um, this seems to be premeditated. Now, could he get out for a lesser charge on the basis that the person who was struck with the bullet is not who he intended? So at attempted murder being an intentional crime, I intended to try to murder this person. Um, would not translate to that person because I didn't attempt to murder him. I attempted to murder somebody else. The answer is no. Your intent transfers to the victim, regardless of whether that was the intended victim or not. If I tried to kill somebody and I killed somebody else, it's still first-degree murder. Justin Watkins with us. Uh, Ari has a gift for finding good stories. This one's kind of sick, but it is a... Fascinating question. A Wisconsin woman was arrested after a roommate discovered a severed head in a bucket. The woman claims that she and the victim were on drugs, and she went crazy in bed strangling him. Is that a defense? No. It's still a crime, right? Like uh, being intoxicated, um, uh, drunk or otherwise, uh, on drugs is not a defense unless you had some basis to claim that that was involuntary. So, for instance, you're sort of in a, a hostage sort of situation. They inject you with a bunch of drugs against your will, and they sort of release you out to the world, and you're, you're hallucinating, and you're all messed up, and, and, and you go and commit some crimes. In that situation, your uh, decision to be intoxicated was not willing. It was not willful, and therefore you would potentially have a defense there. Now... The, I, I hear, you know, Adam Hill's wheels turning from here say, well, every time somebody gets drunk and they go, you know, they go and get a DUI, they'd be like, no, I didn't I didn't want to drink. They forced it on me. It's not my fault. The, the exceptions are so exceedingly rare. Um, you know, this is this is literally like hostage situations um, that you're going to see this this sort of defense. And uh my, I'm, I'm having a brain lapse on on the the, the, the child from the 70s who was taken 
Um, help me out here, Cofield. Come on, the the young lady who was taken, and now they have John the syndrome. B- B- Ram- nope. B'nai Ram- before that, before that, she was like, uh, she was in her early teens. She was kidnapped, and she became part of the the group that kidnapped her. So Patty Hearst, uh, Patty Hearst. There you go, Patty Hearst. Right. So I mean, uh, that was viable arguments for her, and it became a whole basis for a diagnosis. Is that? You know, she didn't willfully go about becoming who she became. It's a hostage situation. She was left with no options. And so there are situations, but they're super extreme. Um, The only the only place this is going to come into play in this case is maybe in sentencing as a basis to sort of reduce um, some of the sentences saying, basically, I was out of my mind on drugs. Um, It's not I'm not a a, a killer. Uh, I'm just a drug addict. I need help. Um, So don't don't send me to death row, allow me to rehabilitate in prison. This next story, I think would open a Pandora's box, but interesting to break down. SoFi Super Bowl, lady named uh, Lita Abella was sitting there. She got shocked by someone falling on her. It turns out that a couple of fellows behind her, one tried to high five, another fell off balance and smashed into her. And she's got all these uh, damages she wants. And she claims uh, the basic reason that she's suing is because the stadium has poor defective seat design. Yeah, so she's got a case, but I just don't think it's against SoFi. Now, I'll put, like, (laughs) I'm a personal injury attorney, so I'm going to put one little asterisk on that, right? And I'm going to say this. As long as everything in those seating areas are to code. Right. right? If, If there was, if the aisles or the space in between the seating is off code, and they built it anyway. Mm-hmm. And the danger associated with that code is that people could fall because there's not enough room for footing. I'm assuming that's not the case because <laughs> it's a $4 billion uh, stadium and I'm sure everything's to code and it's a new stadium. So I, I doubt that's the case. But outside of that very limited circumstance, I don't think SoFi is the one who's going to be held responsible here. Uh, you know, obviously, the guys who were involved in the mishap of the high five are responsible she was seriously hurt she broke her orbital really bad yeah you know she was knocked out that had to be taken from there so i mean she has serious injuries but i i don't think they're going to get paid for by sofi unless it's unless frankly it's out out of a pr standpoint out of the sort of goodness of their heart but if i was advising them i would not advise that because then you're, you're setting yourself up for a future which you always have to do that concussion orbital fracture fractured nose fractured shoulder Missed the trophy ceremony because she was uh, on her way to the, the hospital. Justin, sit tight. Sit tight. I want to do a giveaway here. Let's give away tickets to the Pennzoil 400. Big race coming up this Sunday. It's three days of racing. Everyone hits the ground uh, basically now, and then the hauler event goes down the strip. Tomorrow, you get two tickets to the Pennzoil 400. Caller 7364-1100-364-1100. NASCAR is here. You can get your tickets at LVMS.com. Call Battleborn Injury Lawyers, 702-570-9000, with your questions today. It's time for ESPN Las Vegas legal insider Justin Watkins to present the facts. Only on Cofield and Company. Rolling on. Thomas and Mack getting ready for a 7.30 start with the running Rebels. Lady Rebels actually play at 6 o'clock at Cox Pavilion. Final game, going against Reno. Come on out for that, and then uh, after the game, walk over. you got to have a ticket for the men's game, but come over and support the men as well. It's senior night here at the entire facility. Willie Ramirez is alongside myself, Steve Cofield. Our legal insider, Justin Watkins, is here. Former public servant. Justin, did you ever have... um, I know you told the story about uh, canvassing an area. Did you have a gun pulled on you or, or a dog sicked on you at one point? Yeah, well, uh, I'm petrified of dogs. A little bit less now than than I used to be. Now that I have one that looks mean and is super sweet. Uh, but but yeah, when I was uh, knocking on doors, introducing myself, and trying to gar- garner support for my campaign, um, yeah, I had somebody pull a gun on me and tell me to to get off their driveway and away from their home. And they didn't have any signage posted indicating like no trespassing or any NRS, you know, sign saying, you know, that you, and you'll, you'll see that from time to time. Um, you know, no soliciting, no trespassing. 
um, and then like a, a posting pursuant to NRS. Um, you know, I just backed down off the driveway and and called it a day, and thankfully there, nothing more was made out of it. But is pulling um, a gun on someone a crime? Well, I was on his property, um, and so uh, I don't think what he did was a crime in in the moment. Um, he was more uh, asking me to identify myself and why I was on his property, which I think he's got the right to do. Um, I don't think it was pointed in a nature that indicated to me that the trigger was about to be pulled. You know, it wasn't like lined up on my head. It was kind of pointed in my general direction, but down. Um, so, uh, you know, I think he was within his rights uh, in, in protecting his property. Um now, I wasn't there to do anything bad to his property, but but right. you do have stand your ground rights on your property. So, so. let's uh, let's for people who haven't heard the story or seen the video. Uh, we had an incident the other day where a guy named Justin Anders went to or was at Lindo Michio Khan on the west side of town. Governor Sislak and his wife come in. The daughter's coming in eventually. Walks up and has some choice words for Governor Sislak, who left um, in watching the video and reading what he said. Is there any crime committed there? It's really close, but but like let's pull back from the crime and let's just talk about this is this is gross behavior, right? This is disgusting, and the fact that the news media allowed this this guy to you know have fifteen more minutes of fame by going and attending his public statement and his press conference to talk about why he wasn't going to apologize for what he did, I think is all gross. And I mean this across the aisle, especially the people who serve in state politics, but I'm gonna say this across the board. The people who serve in politics are sacrificing a heck of a lot to serve the people here. And you might not agree with them, and you probably don't agree with a lot of them, um, but, but, you know, getting in their face and, and using vile language in public and, and hinting at how they should die or how they should be lynched or how they should be you know hung uh i think is just like the most disgusting behavior that should not be endorsed in any way and i don't even want to give any sort of credibility you know by saying this which is i don't think they crossed the point to a crime but they were right there but that doesn't mean that we should encourage it just because it's not a crime doesn't mean it's right and if there were um any sort of um, uh, legislation being crafted in a way that still protects constitutional rights to to express your opinions, but that prevented this sort of behavior, I would support it. Okay, so when he says, you know, he insinuates, oh, you don't have your security, we should string you up by a lamppost right now. That's not in saying we're going to, he's saying we should. So there's really not a threat. Threatening I a politician, it's, a state it's official. Right there, it's right there, Willie. Right, like, uh, I mean, I think you, I think you could get a jury to believe that the minute that he says, "Oh, you don't have your security here," right there, he's he's intimating that violence is about to occur. Why else would Why else would he say that? Now, I'm telling you, no DA is going to take that. That's not enough right that they're going to want they don't want to take a case and lose it so they they want something more definitive i agree with you the next step when he says you know we should puts you closer but his his response to that is going to be but and he does say you're just a little bit later you're lucky i'm a law abiding citizen right so yeah. he sort of backs off of that and and tells him these are just words I don't mean any of them as a direct threat, but there was probably about 30 seconds between the comment that you're referencing and the comment that I'm referencing in which he sort of backed off the pedal. But uh, I would think that comment, you've identified the most threatening one, and in combination with you're a traitor, what do we do to traitors or what do they do to traitors? They hang them. That's yep. right. They hang them, patriot. And that that one right there, too, is right up against the line because he's being very, um, cl well, I don't know if I want to give him the word clever, but he's intentionally walking that line. I believe he's trying to, to threaten him uh, in a way that he knows isn't a direct threat and probably won't be prosecuted. And I don't think we should let people get away with it. 
the uh, dude in this incident, Justin Anders, said, I will not apologize for holding public officials responsible for their choices. Okay. Seems to make sense. I will not apologize for using language that is heard endlessly on every social media and music streaming platform daily. Okay, there's a... There's an interesting one. Uh, Michelle Fiore commented on this, and she said, while I don't, uh, do not condone the personal attacks made in that confrontation, Sisolak should have seen this type of anger coming. Um, do you find that disturbing? It's gross. It's a fundraising email, right? It, right. Let's, not, let's not say she's taking a position on something. She's trying to raise funds off of it. She's trying to reference something that's gained some traction in probably you know, some dark corners of, of the political landscape. And she's trying to appeal to those people who are similarly um, situated and, and and have the same sort of feelings. And she's trying to raise funds off of it. And when you do that, you you don't. It doesn't matter that you start off by saying you don't condone. When you say it's expected behavior, when you say you should see it coming, that's that's allowing. You know, that's that's all but not encouraging, but but festering it and allowing it to grow and, and rather than just have everybody from all political affiliations and all offices just shoot something down like that and say we don't want this in our our politics i disagree with the governor on almost every basic you know this i'm speaking as fiori you know i disagree with him on almost every policy decision he's made but this is not how you address it is the better response, right? But you know that's that's not what was done there, and that's that's disappointing. Uh, that's so, not the kind of politics I want to I want to be involved in. So let's go back to the original story we hit twenty minutes ago. Cain Velasquez feeling like he needed to use force to uh, remedy a situation. If the tables are turned on Michelle Fiore and her family, she's approached. We know she's a big uh, you know gun uh, touting folk. I you know I don't know if she carries all the time. If someone walked up to her and said the same exact thing, you should be hanged. If she used lethal force back, what would happen to her? If she shot the person dead? You know, it's a huge game for us oh, I think that that would be a crime. Uh, again, That would be a crime? If she shot the person? Yes. If exactly what was just said to Sisolak prompted somebody to pull out a gun and shoot somebody, then I absolutely believe that the person who shot them committed the crime. Yes. Interesting. All right. There's, well, because I, there's, there's no immediate threat, I don't think. If, if, if the words had just been changed a little bit slightly like, we are going to hang you. Right. And he's got a noose. Well, different story. Right. But um, but I think I think it was clear that these were words and not actions. I agree with you. I think we're setting up a very dangerous scenario by uh, having some people okay confrontations like this yep. without saying they're okaying it. Um, this is I don't think this is what we want, but this is where we are. Uh, Justin, appreciate it. Five seven zero nine thousand is the number to call for Battleborn Injury Lawyers. Uh, you guys still working with the uh, the car insurance? In terms of uh, telling folks, you know, what they have on their policy? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You guys uh, ever wonder, you know, whether or not full coverage is, is really what you have? Almost every single one of my clients always comes in and says, I have full coverage. And then I look at the policy and I'm like, no, you don't. Uh, you yeah. don't have this coverage, this coverage, or this coverage. Um, all which would be relevant and would help you in this situation. But we can't go back in time. So we're stuck with dealing with what we've got, which is either an uninsured person or a person who has crappy insurance. Um, or medical expenses and copays that are much too high to, to cover by the insurance policies by themselves. So, um, you know, if you ever want somebody to give you a second look at, at your insurance policy and tell you what it does and what it doesn't do, we'll do it for free. Just give us a call and we'll set up an appointment. 570-9000. Justin, thank you so much. Thanks, guys. There he is, Justin Watkins. Coming up, Wednesday Football Insider, former quarterback at UNLV, voice of UNLV expert on quarterbacking and the NFL and college football. Here comes Caleb Herring. Call Battleborn Injury Lawyers, 702-570-9000, with your questions today. No specific things relative to extending that at this point, uh, but that doesn't mean that's not going to change. We are aware of where we're at on that, in, in that process. It's Cofield and Company. I've met and spoken to Derek a number of times now, um, just trying to begin our relationship. I think it's really an important one. Uh, the head coach, the play caller, the quarterback, getting to know one another as people, kind of how we think, how we work. Josh McDaniel's not going to say a whole lot about the extension and dealing with Derek Carr, and I saw some notes that uh, he may have gone on NFL Network and said, uh, you know, week one, you know, of course he's going to be my quarterback. But watching a lot of the comments from NFL 
personnel people, coaches, GMs. This is kind of lightly fibbing season. They're not going to say someone's gone this week at the Combine while plans are still being formulated. Caleb Herring's with us, former quarterback at UNLV, football insider on Wednesdays. Caleb, how you doing, buddy? Hey, man, I'm, I'm doing good. I'm, I'm excited about this, this what would you say, fibbing time of year? For <laughs> I mean, to I think everyone – teams are doing. Yeah, I mean, we saw last week Kevin Colbert for the Steelers is like, well, you know, right now we plan on going with uh, Mason Rudolph as our starting quarterback. He is 5-4-1 as a starter, and it's like, bro, you're not going with Mason Rudolph. But he's, that's what he's got to say. Yeah, it, It's keeping your cards close to your vest, right? You, you don't want to, you know – declare your hand on the, on that first that first turn card right that's i mean there's still a lot of possibility with the draft coming up the combine off season i mean aaron Rodgers has there's a lot going on this off season especially where you, you there's some movement that could happen you don't want to you know show your hand too early so yeah there's some light fibbing going on right now what do you do when you walk into a team that was a four three team and you're like we want to go multiple but it may be mostly three four I, it's tough. I, that's a totally different personnel packaging, depth chart, and things like that. So, I, I mean, you have to first get the roster to fit whatever philosophy you're trying to switch to or whatever you know packaging you're trying to adjust to. Um, so that's the first thing. Um, and then I think we saw you know, some of the, the personnel adjustments with, with guys like, with, speaking specifically about the Raiders, with Abram, um, and just how changing his position and what he's actually asked to do when he's on the field um, definitely plays a role in how productive individual players can be. Um, we even saw that with UNLV in, in you know, a much smaller context with uh, Jacoby Winman. Um, how, how where you position players based on the philosophy makes a huge impact on, on individual performances. So sometimes it's necessary, right, to make that adjustment and to, and to say this personnel doesn't work with the 4-3 scheme and it would be better suited with this personnel to be a 3-4. And being a head coach and, or defensive coordinator, having the foresight to see that, um, to pick out players that maybe would have a better fit and to in- implement that philosophy in that system could definitely, without going out and getting free agents, without making trades, just improve your roster immensely by just changing the philosophy up a little bit. Yeah, I just wonder if you're going to a 3-4 and you've got two ends, especially in Gakwe, who's a little light in the pants, and I guess Crosby could play in a 3-4 up front, but uh, maybe he'd have to make the adjustment back to linebacker. That's where it gets a little complicated, and I, I don't. I'm, that's why I think they're going to go multiple uh, this year a little more until they, you know, officially make a decision on both guys. Yeah, and I think there's just a, a, the philosophy around how you approach the three-four. Like, yeah, usually the traditional sense is that the three linemen are, are heavier, more stout against the run kind of guys, bulkier in the interior. But what you do if you don't have that bulk is now you just have more freedom of movement to do gap control with your linebackers, and that's how you stop the run. That's how you you combat heavy personnel, not necessarily by you know, power on power up front, but hey, my second level guys got to be more involved in stopping the run um, because we're not heavy up front, right? So now we have less defensive linemen. Uh, we shorten up that rotation and, and maybe get a better depth with just having three down linemen. And our linebackers now have more pressure. Problem with the Raiders, linebacker has not been the strength. So it's not like, you know, you're, you're going with four linebackers and now it's, uh, it's all of a sudden our linebackers have the freedom to move and we're going to rely on them to make plays. Um, so there's still a question mark of are the linebackers good enough to hold up in a 3-4 scheme. But it's a risk. But I think you got to turn every stone if you're a new head coach, if you're a new defensive coordinator trying to make this Raider roster work. Caleb, reading different stories and of contradictions that they either are a few tweaks away, they aren't a few tweaks away from being contenders. Where are the Raiders at right now? Are they close or do they need a complete teardown? Uh, I I would say, just from my eye watching it, one, the result of the season, um, making it to the playoffs, considering the season they had with the injuries and turmoil that went on, um, you got to say that's good. Also, taking the Super Bowl runner-up within eight yards of overtime, basically, on the road, got to say something about how close the team is, right, and how close everybody in the AFC was. I mean, there's a lot of people um, that could say that they're close. Um, That being said, the Raiders, I think, are close to being – um, contenders with very little room for error, right? And then by that, I mean, like, if the Raiders right now with the roster they have, an injury at one key position automatically takes them out of contention, right? And we saw, you know, w- without Darren Waller in the lineup, how different things look. Let's say, God forbid, Hunter Renfro had gone down last year, right? Or when, when Abrams goes out of the defensive lineup where if Max Crosby isn't there, how different does that team look down the stretch? So they're very close to being contenders, 
if you're talking about a small margin of error. Now, to widen that margin of error, as as we've seen time and time again, the margin of error has to be huge um, in the NFL because anything can happen any given Sunday. Um, very few teams have a, a, a shoe in to make it. I mean, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers could, at times last season seemed like the shoe in to repeat, right? And then they're one Antonio Brown meltdown away from all of a sudden falling out of contention in the NFC, right? So it's it's very fragile for the Raiders right now, but they have a, a lane, a possibility to being close if all things go right. Of course, you want to build depth. You want to you want to expand that margin of error. So I think there's tweaks that need to be made. There's adjustments. There's uh, aging veterans that need to be resigned and and things like that. But I think with where the Raiders are, there's no reason to say they're not close. They don't need a full blow up and a full remodel. They could work with and try to build from here under a new head coach and new GM who should be in in a position to make better decisions with the draft and and the direction of the team going forward. So I'd, I'd argue that the Raiders are close um, and I think are far away from a, from a complete blow up and rebuild. Well, as close as you may think they are now, Russell Wilson, I read a story, and you know when it comes to fitness, I'm all in for these stories. He said he spends a million dollars a year on his body. He hopes to play in the NFL until he is 40. Five. That's a lot of active release, cupping, fascial stretch therapy. 11 years left in his career. Don't the Raiders got to make a run at him? Well, you know, it's funny because if he's <laughs> on that type of fitness thing, Derek Carr's younger than him. I, I mean, so if you, you have a guy, let's just say in theory, who has 11 years left as a starting quarterback, and I, I think is one of the you know top 10, 12 quarterbacks available in the NFL, um, I think you – just say keep Derek Carr, and I think he'd be arguably cheaper in a restructure of his contract or extension of his contract than it would be to go out and get Russell Wilson for what he would be worth in the free agent market or, let's say, to trade for because he has a year left on his contract. But, you know, it's funny because the, the conversation about um, about people investing, especially these, these mega athletes investing in their bodies, I think LeBron James kind of got the ball rolling. Tom Brady is another name that's, you know, been known for, for – uh, investing in his body and I, I was listening to ryan leaf uh earlier today i think i retweeted it as well talking about how more athletes sh- it should be a natural thing for athletes of this caliber to look at themselves like a fortune 500 company and invest in their well-being their health their fitness and things like that because essentially that's what they're making money off of right their body being in peak condition and injury free and available and and the best it can be um, and it, it, it was interesting, the conversation that Ryan Leaf was having. It was on the Rich Eisen show, I think. I retweeted if you want to check it out on my Twitter. But that it, it's interesting that more and more players are now popularizing the idea of spending money. And when you think about it, a million dollars for a guy that's making $22 million a year, it's not really that much when you're considering that's your whole business. You are the business. You are the product that you're trying to sell to teams to you know, earn your money with. So why wouldn't you invest that much money if you're, if you're making $22 million a year? Why, you know, how much you can pay a chef's annual salary for that much, right? I, I'll pay you 150000 to be my pers- personal chef for the year. I'll, I'll fly you wherever I'm going. I'll pay you another $100,000 to be my fitness instructor. You're coming with me everywhere I go to make sure I'm in peak physical condition. Things like that. I mean, why wouldn't you if you're a, a, a Fortune 500 company, quote unquote, Fortune 500 company, if you're investing in your body and your longevity of your career? So I, I think I'm glad that this trend is catching on. I hope more young guys take that. Uh, perspective when starting their careers that they are the business and taking care of themselves is a priority, especially if they want to have a lengthy and successful career. A 100% buy in. But you said LeBron got the ball rolling. I'm not going to let you do that to MJ because one of my favorite videos of his is airtime. And he talked about if he was going to have to go to battle with the New York Knicks every single year, that's when he started bringing personal training and nutrition and taking taking care of his body serious. The, the legend is who Got the ball rolling, my guy, Caleb. <laughs> well, MJ, MJ didn't have Twitter, so it doesn't count. Nothing before Twitter counts, right? <laughs> oh, okay, okay. <laughs> um, I would actually go back to 1984 and look at a picture of the Detroit Tigers and see what they look like as compared to the rest of baseball and say that Ron, they Ron got the floor? ball. They, you know, it wasn't around the floor, but look at Lance Parrish's forearms. Yeah. They were, they were mega, working mega out. Forearms. They were working out with something. Uh, Caleb Herring is here with us throwing out the – Scurrilous accusations. Not Caleb, but I am. Um, <laughs> continuing on uh, some NFL news. So we just talked about the, uh, the quarterback issues. Uh, well, not issues, but about Russell Wilson and who could go after Russell Wilson and if the Raiders should try to upgrade from Carr to Russell Wilson. Um, there's other guys who may be available. One is Carson Wentz. And I've been ranting the last couple of days on how bad a situation uh, 
the football team the commanders are um Wentz could land in Washington, which for him, I feel really bad for him because to me, that's rock bottom for your career. I still he, – he had a good year for most of the year. He didn't come up big in big spots. What do you think? Where, where is he? Does he need – does he belong in, you know, in, a, in, a, in a town where it's not really a playoff team, or can he play a higher-level football with a better team? I, I think – he is, and this is my opinion, Carson Wentz is exactly where he should be, right? I thought that him landing in Indianapolis with a team around him that's a contender was probably the best fit for him as far as uh, being able to make him a more consistent quarterback because that's been the thing for him. Like, he has really high highs, but he also can go very low when he's bad. So I think with, you know, Jonathan Taylor and, and that offensive system and the defense that they have, he should have been, and it, it should have been a more stable situation for him there. So I, I actually think Wentz personally – is in the best spot for him. So I'm with you. If he ends up in the Commanders, I think for his career, uh, we're not looking at a, a, a massive turnaround. We're not going to look at the resurgence of Wentz in Washington, right? Um, it's, it's funny because what Washington said they need is, is stability at the position. I think that's what in the article they said. They need stability at quarterback. And it's like Carson Wentz hasn't been the most stable guy. He's, he's been kind of Jekyll and Hyde at quarterback. At least that's what it was in Philadelphia. And at times in Indianapolis even – where he'd make a play and it'd be like, wow, he looks amazing. And then the next series is like, what is this guy thinking? Why would you throw that pass? So I think he's more suited, uh, best suited in, in Indianapolis. So um, any quarterback really right now that goes to Washington with, with the chaos in that, in that franchise, I think would have an uphill battle. So I, I don't think they're in a position yet to be saying we're a quarterback away. They need to figure out a lot more in Washington before they start saying we're a quarterback away from figuring this thing out. Top of the heap for quarterbacks who may be available. Aaron Rodgers could be one of those guys when he finally makes a decision here. Brian Gutekunst, the GM, was on a conference call the other day, was asked about uh, trade calls, and he throws it out there that he hasn't gotten one single call. Why would you say that? Like To me, that's detrimental to your effort to bring back Aaron Rodgers. We already know it's a very sensitive situation. If I'm Rodgers, I'm like, what are you doing? Well, I, I think that's I think it's in line with the narrative that they're trying to create this offseason around Aaron Rodgers, right, where it's – it goes from we never told Aaron we were going to trade him. We never said that. That wasn't a promise we made. Um, it goes along that same line where it's like, hey, he's not available for a trade at this point. It is up to him. We, we haven't talked to him. He hasn't made a decision yet. But as of right now, we have no intention to shop him uh, until otherwise stated by him publicly. We're not in. He's not on the market. There's, there's not one call we fielded about it. And that kind of feeds that narrative. So I think right now it's about we want him to stay. The, the backhand side of that, like, well, let's say, you know, a week from now, Aaron Rodgers decides to come out publicly and say, I want to trade. I want to be out. Now what you've done is the floodgates now are open and the market hasn't been set for what the trade is. Uh, one, it might be true that nobody's called about it because nobody really wants to be the first one to do it. But if the market all of a sudden opens up now, you can initiate the conversation of what we're going to say we want for Aaron Rodgers. If, if people get wind that you fielded, you know, a couple first rounds and, you know, whatever for Aaron Rodgers or whatever your the, the, the market is for him before he actually announces it, then you set the bar a little lower maybe than intended. Because if you're going to trade him, you want to get the most you can out of him. So it's it's I think that the thinking is we want to make it like the bar is really high to convince us to let him go because it's not what we want to do. If we're doing it, it's for Aaron Rodgers and his decision, not because we want to do it. So you're going to have to jump really high if it does come out that he wants to be traded. College football, what do you think of Art Bryles uh, dancing with Grambling for a couple of days and then finally getting dumped? It's tough. I, I think I, I understand the, the outrage about the hiring. I think um, what happened in Baylor and the scandal about suppressing you know, sexual assault uh, cases that happened on campus with their players and, and others on campus, I think was it obviously was outrageous and egregious for somebody in that position to not uh, report properly or to even suppress, make efforts to suppress um, uh, victims who came forward with their stories um, for whatever the reason may be. Um, it, it brings up a conversation of, of redemption. Is there ever a possibility that someone who loses their job, um, not just for the act itself, and for, but for anything connected to an act of, of, of sexual assault or, or, or failure to report, is there ever a time where it's going to be okay for that person to now regain employment or at least publicly regain employment? Um, and I, I obviously think about, um, you know, Urban Meyer and his involvement in similar situations where he may have suppressed or may have 
not reported accurately things that happened uh, on his staffs. And he was able to finish a full season in an NFL coaching job or most of a season, I should say. But um, is there ever a point where a person who made a mistake, who, you know, did not fulfill their responsibilities at one point is considered uh, forgiven for that error and can move on with their lives? It brings up that question, I think, in society. When will we ever get to that point? Now, obviously, with Bryles, it's we haven't got there yet. At least Grambling hasn't, where they're not willing to say that it's acceptable for him to be a coach on their staff. Maybe it's not acceptable for anybody with such a history to be on their staff at Grambling. And if that's the standard we're setting for society, then, hey, that's what we're going to move to. you got to be squeaky clean and perfect in order to get a second chance. So. Um, we'll see, but I, I obviously understand the outrage and the frustration from Grambling and their and their side to to not want that to be a part of their program. And I'm glad at least the decision was made quickly, you know, just a few days before that turnaround and that decision. So it wasn't something that was a long, drawn out affair that that bled over into the season and impacted things more than it needed to. So um, it's it's a tough situation. I keep moving the line of what's acceptable um, from our from our collegiate staff, and it's not a bad thing. I think the standard being raised is not a bad thing at any at any point. So. Um, we'll see if that's the standard going forward. Caleb, one minute left. Um, senior nights for both of the basketball teams here at uh, Cox Pavilion and Thomas and Mac. You remember your senior night? I do. I do. I, I arguably had one of my, my best games as a senior against San Diego State senior night. I threw five touchdowns and ran for one. Nice. Um, so it was, it was a great game for me. It was a great experience having my family out and, and getting my roses literally <laughs> as I walked down onto the field for the final time. Um, being able to share that with my family was was huge for me. So um, summing up and putting a bow on my collegiate experience was big. Um, I think for uh, for UNLV um, right now, especially with the basketball team, as far as women, the Mountain West champions, uh, men having a, a better season than, than I think any of them have had on that roster um, during their career, being able to go out on a high note on senior night is good. And I think it's 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 important for fans to recognize it and show their appreciation for the careers of those seniors that we make in their last I guess, starts in their collegiate careers in front of their home fans. Caleb, we appreciate it. Thanks, buddy. All right, guys, you have a good rest of the week. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas.